Welcome to another classic, bombastic, recording a podcast because we just went undrafted episode of the now Redraftico podcast. I'm your host, Alex Young, and I'm feeling lucky today. And the reason I'm feeling lucky is because my San Antonio Spurs have won the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery. That's right. They have the number one overall pick. And what a year to have the number one overall pick with possibly the greatest basketball prospect we've seen in this modern era in 7-4 center out of France, Victor Wembenyama. Now, in this podcast, we're going to split it up into three sections. First, I'm going to give you my reaction on the NBA draft lottery and what it means for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Number two, I am going to recap last year's draft. So last year, I did a draft pod last year where I I previewed and made a couple predictions for uh, the 2022 draft, and we're we're going to revisit those predictions. And then I'm going to give you a quick mock draft of what I think the top 10 picks should be, or my top 10 prospects in the 2023 NBA draft. But let's start with the Spurs uh, winning the, the lottery of all lotteries, and that is getting this generational prospect, uh, Victor Wembenyama. If you are a Spurs hater, you are probably mad because the last time the Spurs had the number one overall pick, they drafted number one, or they drafted center Tim Duncan uh, out of Wake Forest. And as that went, uh, the Spurs won five championships and had like 20 straight years winning, making the playoffs. It, and it was just fruitful. It was, it was really awesome. And so um, in that respect, I, I very much am a spoiled fan for rooting for the Spurs, one of the perhaps like the most successful small market team the NBA has ever seen. I'm not sure that's too controversial. And the other thing that I, I'm grateful for that the Spurs are obviously very lucky is that the Spurs now no longer have to root for losses. They no longer have to try to lose. They, Victor Wembenyama is potentially, I mean, we, we never know about like people getting hurt. He's super tall. He could easily get hurt or maybe he's just not, not that good. There's always a chance of that, but he's if if he is like what the projections project him to be, um, he's the superstar that is a skeleton key that fixes everything else in your franchise. He's a guy you can build around, and all of your players who are maybe out over their skis. So, for example, someone like. Devin Vassell, who is this really great shooting guard, but had to carry the offensive load, which was a little early in their career to be doing that. Or someone like Jeremy Sohan, who's this kind of like um, jack of all trades, kind of leans a little bit more focusing on defense, but had to carry a bit of a scoring load um, last year because they didn't really have anyone else. Um, Those guys get a little less defensive attention. They can now have a little bit more of a defined role and they no longer have to do too much. And so everyone plays a little bit better. Everyone plays a little bit more efficiently and let's, I'm not going to lie. The Spurs kind of needed it this past year. They had the worst 
point differential in the NBA. On average, they lost games by by 10 points. So on average, their game was a 10-point loss, which was like three points worse than everyone else. They had the 29th ranked offense in the league and then the 30th last place uh, defense in the league. And I think by many accounts, they had perhaps the weakest roster in the league. So we're, we're, we're very lucky uh, in that effect. Like it was one really long year of pain. Whereas I, I see other teams that have been rebuilding for uh, four to five years and they've been kind of in the wilderness looking for their superstar. And so Spurs are lucky that their rebuild, if things go according to plan, is a little quick tracked. As for me, we've had the news for about five days, and it's still pretty surreal to me, honestly. Uh, Going into the lottery, the the Spurs had a 14% chance to win the number one overall pick. Um, That means they had an 86% chance to not win the number one overall pick. In fact, they had a 48% chance to fall out of the top four. And going into the lottery, I mean, I was more interested in the NBA draft than than usual years because my favorite team, the Spurs, had uh, a good chance at a top pick and they were going to get perhaps a prospect that was going to change their future. And so it's almost like shopping at the mall or shopping wedding dresses, right? Who is who's the young <laughs> prospect who's just a kid that you're going to wed your, your hopes and dreams on for the next couple of years? Who's going to... Uh, even though it's it's a kid's game, like who are you going to irrationally attach your happiness to over the next couple of years? And so because of this, I had been watching a lot of draft videos of guys projected to go like number two, number three, number four, even down to number eight. I mean, I was, I was prepared for anything. I was, I, I honestly was avoiding the Victor Wembanyama highlights because I knew he was such a good prospect that, and it was very unlikely that the Spurs were going to get him. I was avoiding those high because I thought it would really dampen uh, my hopes for the other people I was watching, which I, I think was a pretty rational way to, to look at it. But now the Spurs have the number one pick. And, and what it means is that I can have this like really unconstrained like hopes for for this team it, it's it's crazy like i i'm almost as the kids would say wiling at this point i'm looking at the los angeles lakers and saying oh the spurs are only 11 championships behind them like perhaps if victor Wembanyama is healthy for 15 years we can catch them it, it's really it's really ridiculous i'm like looking at all right what what free agents can we <laughs> poach now that we have such a destination player that people want to play with, like, oh, Luka Doncic is a free agent in, in 2027. Like, should the Spurs be playing? It, it's really, honestly, kind of rude and, and kind of irrational, but you have all these hopes and dreams because your outlook as a franchise has changed. You no longer have to root for losses. You no longer have to tank. You just have to get solid players to complement Victor's skill set and just train him so he doesn't get hurt basically and and develop him to like clean out some of the iron out some of maybe the the nitpicks that we might have in this game and I might mention those later 
And it, it's the and the last thing I I don't want to rub this in too much. I again like the Spurs are extremely blessed for this to happen. But the last thing is like it's it's such a weight lifted off your shoulders. I mean, I've been dreading the NBA draft lottery for like six months because I, I knew the Spurs only had like a very 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 limited chance, only fourteen percent chance to to win it. And so it just all that stress. Um, you're super tense and to add to the stakes it doesn't look like the 2024 draft next year's draft is going to be nearly as good as this year's draft and so that it was like if if you don't get the guy here and Victor's not the only guy there are other guys that I think can be uh, franchise players in this draft if you don't get the guy here you might be waiting till 2025 and so that that's that was kind of the scary specter hanging over the rest of the draft. But enough rubbing it in, enough talking about the lottery. It's super exciting. We'll talk a little bit about when Minyama, like his, what he's good at was pros and cons are uh, later. But moving on to the next segment, I'm going to I'm going to explain who the or I'm going to recap last year's draft predictions. Uh, ex- give you a, some context of who these players are and then explain kind of how year one went and how uh, my predictions are going and, and would I change anything. And then then I'll go into next year's draft. But uh, as for last year's draft, um, last year's draft, my, my number one prospect was 7-3 center out of Gonzaga, <laughs> Chet Holmgren. To explain Chet Holmgren, he's... He was pretty much like the, pretty much like the only basketball human who st- stood a fighting chance <laughs> against Victor Wembanyama. He was this like super long, super skinny prospect. He was an incredible shot blocker at at uh, Gonzaga and in high school, um, but he also had amazing three point range, great basketball in- instincts, good passer. Uh, the downsides were he was a little stiff and he was a little skinny and, and we had just never seen someone with these dimensions uh, going into the league. And so a lot of people were, were kind of scared off by that and, and they didn't think he was the number one prospect. And uh, based on his rookie year, well, so he he showed a lot of like potentials and flashes in summer league. Like uh, look it up on YouTube. He has this crazy his summer league debut. He scores like 17 in the first half, and it's all step backs, like Dirk Nowitzki shots. Um, and he really showed a lot of flashes, and a lot of people were like, wow, this guy should have gone number one instead of number two. And then he broke his foot. And basically, I, I kind of joke that. Uh, so he, Chet Holmgren plays for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, he broke his foot in Seattle. The Oklahoma City Thunder uh, famously or infamously uh, moved from Seattle. They were the Seattle Supersonics before moving to Oklahoma City. So I guess that's the curse of the Sonics speaking right there. But um, I'm still going to hold to my prediction. I, I think he will be. My prediction is he will be the best prospect in this draft if he doesn't keep getting injured because I, I think his – he just does things that we've never seen before and until we'll, we'll see him with Wimbenyama. Number two last year, I believe I had a 6'10 forward for the Houston Rockets out of Auburn, uh, Jabari Smith Jr. 
Uh, going into draft night, Jabari Smith Jr. was believed to be going number one overall before a surprise, and he ended up going number three to the Rockets. Jabari had a pretty rocky first year with, with the Rockets. Um, his uh, To explain him as a prospect, he's this incredible shot maker. Uh, he's very long. He can always get his shot off. Um, he shot like a crazy percentage at like 43% from three at, at Auburn. And people thought like maybe he could be like Chris Milton or heck even KD. Um, he kind of struggles to dribble. That was always a knock on his game. Um, and he also plays on this Rockets team, which has, they're not the most pass happy to put it lightly. <laughs> they have guys like Kevin Porter Jr. And uh, Jalen Green, who they really like to shoot. And so they're not exactly setting up Jabari Smith Jr. who's kind of relegated to the corner as a three-point shooter. Um, but he did show flashes. He is a really good defender. Um, he did show flashes, but it was just kind of underwhelming uh, for someone who people thought should go number one in the draft. Um, I'm a little hesitant going forward, but we'll see what happens. Uh, number three, I forget, did I have like Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp? I think I had Jaden Ivey. So Jaden Ivey is this ultra explosive, ultra fast, quick point guard out of Purdue. Um, he's just really fast and really explosive and, and maybe the most explosive person in, in that draft. Uh, he was drafted to the Pistons with the fifth overall pick. And uh, my understanding, I this is the analysis that I read on him, is that he had a pretty rocky start to his Pistons tenure, but he really started to figure things out uh, later in the season to the point where he'd still be like a top five, top six prospect in this year's draft. So good for him. Um, number four, I had I actually had Shaden Sharp. Um, Shaden Sharp, this like, to describe him, he's like the six eight forward out of Kentucky incredibly explosive uh and an incredible jump shot so great shooter around the time he ended up going seventh to the portland trailblazers in this draft and the reason for that is that just kind of very sketchy circumstances going from high school to kentucky to uh the nba and by sketchy like he <laughs> Like he committed, he left high school, he graduated high school early and then he was practicing with Kentucky and, and playing with them. He was practicing with the team, but there was this really big mystery. Like, was he ever going to play for the team? And then basically his agent told the team like, oh, he's totally going to play. He's not going to play the first year, but he's going to play next year. He's going to play, uh, he's going to play as a, a sophomore at Kentucky and of course, that was a lie, and he ended up going to the NBA as any young kid who was projected to be a top 10 pick likely would, uh, just given the amount of money possible. So it was just really sketchy, and there wasn't a lot we really knew about him. Like You didn't get to evaluate him going against college, other college, collegiate prospects. So um, because of that, he did slide a little to number seven in the draft. But I, I really liked him a lot. I, I think he has star upside, and, and because of that, like even if it is a mystery box, you should swing for the fences. And so um, he'd probably go top five if, if we were to redraft again. 
knowing what we know now. And then my number five prospect, which is most people's number one prospect for this year. In fact, he was the number one overall pick. And that is uh, 6'10 forward out of Duke, Paolo Bancaro. Paolo Bancaro, um, I had a very much a love-hate relationship watching him a lot at Duke. I was way lower than than consensus on Paolo Bancaro. Um, I, I thought he was just like kind of an inefficient chucker at Duke. He uh, took a lot of like really difficult step back mid rangers. I didn't think he was particularly efficient. I didn't think uh, his three point shot was, was looking good. Um, I, I thought he was an awesome passer, but I didn't think he was a good rebounder. Like he kind of took plays off. Um, and because of that, like while he was very polished and while he did have a huge bag of dribble moves and, and, different ways to score the basketball i'd never really bought it as him being super efficient um i thought if he was going to be a small ball center he didn't really offer much in the ways of rim protection um but i did recognize that he was very good and had an nba body build so i didn't think he was going to be a bust but i just was kind of hesitant i thought other players in the draft uh, had more upside and I'll admit right here that I, I kind of missed this one. I was, I was, I was wrong about Paolo. And I, I think if we were to do a redraft, he'd go. I most people would pick him number one because he's not hurt like Chet Holmgren. But um, I'd probably have him number two, number three, something like that. And my understanding of how his rookie season went was, while I was very skeptical of him potentially being. <laughs> a center the Orlando Magic were like cool we'll make him our point guard and so he's he got the reins to the offense he um, showcased a lot of playmaking a lot of shot making and with that he was the number one option on a team that overachieved that had like I, th I think 30 32 wins this year in my defense he what if you look at his numbers he wasn't super efficient doing it um but there are a lot of good indicators like scoring 20 points a game as a rookie is, is very impressive and uh indicator for all-star or all-nba stardom um he got to align way more at for orlando this year than he did um last year almost at a historic rate for a rookie um that's a really good sign so he, I mean, the fact is he was, like, in better shape. He was a better player. He was doing stuff that he wasn't doing at Duke. Um, so I was wrong about Paolo, but I'm happy for him. I'm glad he put in the work that to get better. And he looks like a, a potential low-end franchise player. And uh, his, his shot is a little worrisome. Uh, I think in February he was 1 for 23 from 3. Um it is a little worrisome. Will he ever be a reliable three-point shooter? Uh, we hope so, but uh, the Magic got a good one, and the Magic have a very exciting future ahead of them. Last note, um, in that podcast, I also gave uh, predictions on how the Duke guys would do, and, and spoiler alert, I, I liked all the Duke guys. I was really, really high on Mark Williams, and he showed a lot of 
he had a lot of double doubles for Charlotte, and I think he was a win at the 13th pick. Um, I was also really high on AJ Griffin, although I didn't love him getting drafted to the the Hawks. I think the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, are a little bit of a mess, but he he had a really awesome year, showed a lot of potential, and is looking like a top 10 prospect. Um, I was also a big fan of Trevor Keels in in the second round, who was drafted by the New York Knicks, and we didn't really see much. He honestly looked like the mascot for their their playoff run because he was always in street clothes. But Trevor Keels is my dog, and I hope he makes a rotation one day. With that, let's get into the meat of this podcast, which is this year's uh, draft. I am going to give you my my big board, um, at basically my top ten prospects. And this is irrespective. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Team Fit, but this is totally irrespective of Team Fit. This is just the top 10 prospects on my board. Uh, number one, we have Victor Wembanyama, 7-4 alien from France. Again, I was avoiding the <laughs> Victor Wembanyama highlights so as not to get my hopes up. But after breaking my highlight celibacy, it it's insane, man. He's he looks like seven foot four Giannis Antetokounmpo with a bag, with like a bag of incredible bag of dribble moves and, and passing moves. He's I I think he I'll I'll start with offensively. I think there is a little bit of improvement area there. His shot selection, while it's incredible, and, and we're seeing the highlights, his shot selection looks kind of awful but maybe he's just screwing around um he does only shoot 28 percent from three which is a bit on the low end but he does shoot good free throws and uh that 28 percent may be due partly to um just doing like ridiculous step backs and just trying to make highlights i didn't see amazing passing it seemed like he was making the right read all the time but nothing crazy in, in terms of vision or, or playmaking. But he makes up for that by basically dunking everything, basically reaching over <laughs> everyone. And when he's not dunking over everyone, he's doing like these ridiculous step backs or, or floater three pointers. Um, he did one thing today uh, where <laughs> he did what was what's called a hostage dribble, where um, you're leading a fast break and then you kind of keep the defender on your back hip like Chris Paul does this stuff Luka Doncic does this stuff all the time it is considered a bit of an advanced uh movement and seven foot four Victor Wembanyama is leading the fast break putting the defender on his hip before uh rampaging through the lane for a dunk so I don't know like we'll we'll have to see how consistent he is um or how hot his his motor runs but he has all the tools. I, I just hope the, the three-point shooting comes along big time. But, I mean, we saw in his exhibition against Scoot Henderson and G League at Ignite, like, he can get hot and hit seven threes and a half. It, it's crazy. So while, while I'm hesitant to get super high on his offense, the defense stuff is just absolutely unreal. Like, he's no seven-foot-four guy should be able to move laterally like that. Um, but – one thing that he really has going for him is is that he's so dang long that he can block pretty much any sort of jumper. And because of that, he's able to take an extra one to two steps back from what a normal 
perimeter defender would be able to do. And so it looks like he's giving the offensive player this massive cushion. Like he, it looks like he's given this offensive player a huge cushion that they should be able to shoot over. But since he has this like ridiculous 10 foot wingspan, like 10 foot is probably much, but like eight foot wingspan, like he's able to block your shot from that distance. And so he he's able to have this cushion. So it's really hard to blow by him. And even if you do blow by him, he'll recover and probably block your stuff. Um, but he's able to guard you on the perimeter. And if you do try him at the rim, like, um, it's not going to go well there. If you look at one, one video I watch is, uh, Adam Spinella or coach spins. Um, his, his YouTube channel is the box in one. And he, I watched a bunch of, uh, his highlight breakdowns of, of each of these prospects. And when you watch the women, Yama highlights, it, it starts off with a bunch of people coming in super hot, going for a poster, uh, ready to like, yam all over him and he just absolutely stuffs him there's one particular of scoot henderson where scoot henderson is like six feet in the air uh getting ready to to yam it and he just gets he he falls to the floor because his shot was blocked that hard so there there's a lot of superlatives and uh, apologies for taking like seven minutes to to gush over this but um exciting prospect it's it's crazy uh, last thing I'll add is there's this debate over who's the better prospect, him or LeBron. Um, LeBron was like as sure of a thing as we could possibly have. But I will say if you showed the Wembenyama highlight tapes versus the high school LeBron highlight tapes um, versus the Zion Williamson highlight tapes, I think you would honest. I think GMs, not knowing what they know now would pick Wembenyama one Zion Williamson two and LeBron three. And maybe that's a, a hot take and, and maybe um, I don't remember LeBron's <laughs> recruitment uh, cause he was, it was 2003. I, I was roughly like seven years old. Um, but like just watch the LeBron highlights. They're, they're they're crazy for his time and and he's a high schooler and who knows what his highlight tape would look like if he played one year of college and was the same age as uh zion williamson at duke and and victor Wembanyama this past year who knows what happened maybe he would have scored 40 a game and been the greatest prospect uh, we've ever seen but i honestly believe that in 2003 if, if you put these three prospects and um, if you, this is the era where there was a firm belief that you needed a, a great center to be the, to win championships, that centers were the cornerstones of, of championship teams. Um, I think when Benyama goes first, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I honestly think they're, they're picking the center who looks like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 2.0, um, versus the, um, small forward. I don't think Wembenyama will have LeBron's career, but uh, that that's just kind of my just looking at the the highlights. That's it. I, I think he has just crazier highlights. Uh, moving on to number two in the draft, I actually have 
I am bucking consensus, and I, I have someone that not a lot of people have. My number two overall prospect is Amon Thompson from Overtime Elite. Amon Thompson is one of the two Thompson twins who played for uh, Overtime Elite. He is a six-seven point guard, um, playing for this, playing for the I think they're something City Reapers. I, I forget what the exact team is. What you need to know about Amon Thompson is that uh, the the main selling point is that he is hyper athletic. Uh, I've heard multiple people describe his first step as nuclear, like so nuclear that Christopher Nolan is making a movie about it this summer. And he's so explosive that um, draft analysts that I res- respect, like Sam Vecini, um, as well as Kevin O'Connor, like Sam Vecini said that upon arrival into the NBA, he's going to be a top five athlete in the NBA, which, I mean, honestly, kind of blows my mind. Uh, well, actually, it, it's not it's not just Sam. So Kevin O'Connor, uh, in his draft comp, called him beanpole zion williamson so essentially like skinny zion williamson which if you know anything about zion williamson he's super explosive but he can't stay on the court because he's a bit overweight and out of shape and i'm honestly shocked that these guys are um these guys are saying like oh yeah he's gonna be a top five athlete in the nba and he's he's also the fourth best prospect in the draft i i just don't totally get it uh, jumping into other attributes on Amon Thompson, um, he's a really good passer. Um, he has really good feel for the game. Uh, he's a great finisher around the the rim. I think he shot like 72% uh, around the rim, which is a, a pretty high mark for uh, a lot of prospects. He's, he, he's also a great passer. He's able to do all these wraparound passes because he has long arms, but also like he, he can jump in the air and extend his window for, for doing a lot of these passes. The real reason that he's number four on most people's boards is just the jump shot is that broken. It's, it's so bad that um, defenders are giving him what is known as the Ben Simmons treatment, uh, where they are going so deep under... Um, under screens, like they're not bothering to score, guard him out there. He also he also has a somewhat low free throw percentage, which is not a good indicator for his jump shot long term. And so, because of that, people wonder, like, all right, what? Sure, this guy could potentially be tall, job Morant, but if he's unable to ever shoot at even a, a passable level, how how much is that worth? I see all that. I see all that. Um, I I also have rose-tinted glasses when it comes to this because I root for the San Antonio Spurs who um, have historically been able to fix a lot of un- unfixable jump shots. Like the reason they got Kawhi Leonard at 15 was um, Kawhi's jump shot was pretty broken and, and didn't look good. Um, but the, <laughs> the Spurs fixed it and then he became a, a superstar. So... I would think the Spurs would be able to to figure out how to use Amon Thompson and and use it. I I just think he, like if you just watch him, he's not just ultra explosive. He's he's really nice and like he's six seven point guard. So you're not gonna have to worry about him being a defensive liability. 
I think if you're a team like Charlotte and you have someone like LaMelo Ball who can play someone off ball, like Amon Thompson is going to be able to cover a lot of LaMelo's defensive warts. And so I don't, whereas if you go for someone like Scoot Henderson, who's on, on the smaller side, like now both your, your league guards are defensive liabilities. Ultimately, though, I, I think you need to trust your developmental staff. And if you think he can be tall jaw Morant, you should take him with the number two pick. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Moving on to my, my third prospect, I have uh, the aforementioned Scoot Henderson. 6-2 point guard from the G League Ignite, uh, which is uh, a professional team. Scoot Henderson is a bit of a prodigy. He started playing for the G League Ignite um, when he was 17 years old, which is crazy to think of because you're going against grown men in the G League. You're going against like 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds there, and you're a teenager at 17. And, and that really highlights just how, A, like athletic he is, how, how much burst he has, uh, but also like how physically built his frame is to go into a grown man league and be able to hold your own and and not just hold your own, but score 14 points a game as a 17 year old. And for me, that's always like a great indicator. In my opinion, that's always the number one, a great selling point for me. I, I always like someone who has like this prodigious, this prodigy background. Uh, Luka Doncic was this prodigy who was doing like, uh, unprecedented stuff in the Europe, Europa League. He was the MVP of Europe at 18 years old, which was unprecedented. Uh, slight note, my boy Alperen Şengün was doing the same thing in the Turkish League, and, and that's a big reason I was super high on him. Um, I like Scoot. He has a lot of game. Uh, he's explosive. Um, Kevin O'Connor calls him Russell Westbrook if Russell Westbrook had good decision-making. Which, if you think he's going to be as like athletic and explosive as Russell Westbrook, um, with that, like you should take him number two. So I mean that that's kind of like that's where we get a little hyperbolic in these um, draft grades or these draft comps. As for the jump shot, um, his his three pointer is not good. He didn't shoot a good percentage from from three, but he is pretty adept in in the mid range and and has a. Uh, incredible number of, of tricks to create separation uh, and either explode to the rim or, or finish with with the mid ranger. In fact, I, I heard a analysis today saying that he probably sells a little too much for mid rangers. He doesn't uh, only like thirty five percent of his attacks like go to the rim, whereas other elite prospects are around like the forty two range, forty two percent range. I don't know what that means, and I totally mistranslated the stat, but. Um, he he's explosive and he, he's a point guard and I I wish he was on like the Houston Rockets so that they could have a point guard to kind of settle things down. My main problem and I'm going to come off as heightest heightest is he's kind of short. He's six two. Uh, there isn't really unless you're like Patrick Beverly, I guess. Like there isn't really much precedent for six two. Pl- players being shorter players being like elite defenders even though he is very explosive even though he is very active and even though he is like an extremely hard worker who's been a professional since he was 17 and so if i'm going to if so 
So if I'm going to compare him to my boy, Amon Thompson, who I currently have at two, I would say Amon is more athletic, um, more explosive than, than Scoot Henderson by, by a decent bit. Uh, maybe a decent bit. I mean, Scoot's crazy explosive too. Uh, but Amon Thompson is taller. He's longer. He's projects to be a better defender than, than Scoot, even though Scoot is like built like a truck. Um, meanwhile, the, the upsides for Scoot Henderson is Scoot is a year younger than Amon Thompson. Um, he has a better shot and probably projects to be more likely to develop a, a three-point shot. And Scoot also played against better competition. He played in, in the G League, which, which I talked about. Meanwhile, Amon Thompson and the Thompson Twins, they played at um, Overtime Elite, which is kind of a Mickey Mouse league. It's it's a little bit. Uh, they're high schoolers in that league, so they had their 20-year-olds who had this playing against like 17- and 18-year-olds at times. Um, so I don't think that's a disqualifier for Amon, but it is kind of uh, one thing that is turning a lot of people off towards those Twins. I would just take... Amon's tools over this. That that's it. So that so number one Wembenyama, number two Amon Thompson, number three Scoot Henderson. That brings us to my least excited or to the prospect I'm perhaps least excited about, and that is um, number four. I have Brandon Miller, a six nine forward out of Alabama. Um, basketball wise, Brandon Miller is a very exciting prospect. Um, off the court, though, there, I, I mentioned this in the NCAA tournament pod. Um, there was an incident at Alabama where uh, Brandon Miller's teammate was uh, is now currently indicted for capital murder. Um, there was police testimony saying that Brandon Miller drove uh, drove the <laughs> weapon that was used in said capital murder to the scene of the crime at uh, prompting from, I, I think the guy's name is Darius Miles or some, sorry, I, sorry to all the Darius, this is if I, I incorrectly Im- implicated you. Um, yeah, it's just like a very like not fun situation, <laughs> obviously. Like we, we don't know what happened. Like, NBA teams are interviewing him. NBA teams are doing their due diligence, and they're they're saying like he's totally clean, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, just as a fan, man, like I wouldn't want to. I I wouldn't want to be. It would just kind of be sucky to root for, even though like he might be totally in, innocent. Like until we know that, like it's just it's just kind of gross. That's it, and it looks like. Brandon Miller is going to go number two um, to the Charlotte Hornets, in which the Charlotte Hornets will then be employing him and and Miles Bridges. And I do want to emphasize, like he could be totally incident innocent. It's I I don't know if there's enough publicly available details. Um, he wasn't arrested or anything. It just as a fan, it's just kind of gross. Um, it's more gross that like he didn't get suspended at Alabama and just this idea that like teams maybe don't care, but um, I, I'll get off my high horse for a little bit. I, as for Brandon Miller, the prospect, I put him at fourth, uh, not because I have a vendetta against him. I just don't think he has the same upside as Scoot and Amon that I, 
that's that's the only reason I have him at, at four. Uh, a, he's one of the oldest. As we transition to just talk about basketball, like he is one of the oldest players in the draft. Um, he's two years older than my number five prospect, like Cam Whitmore, um, and he he is a bit older, but he is like one of the best shooters. Um, he's like six nine. He's kind of like Jabari Smith Jr. was last year. Like he can get a shot up over everyone. Like he has nice passing. Um, showed a little bit more prowess playmaking and off the dribble than Jabari Smith. So uh, maybe that roadblock isn't there. He could very well be like Chris Milton or, or a Paul George type. Like he could be a star. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's all I have on, on Brandon Miller. I, I'm just a little less high on him. Just even though I, I like the shot and playmaking, I, I don't think he's as explosive and he is a year older than ever, than a lot of people. My number five prospect is Cam Whitmore, a small forward out of Villanova. I don't know his dimension. <laughs> I, I'm running out of dimensions for these guys, but I think he's like around like 6'6 six, six or, or something like that. Um, whereas Brandon Miller was older at about 20 years old, Cam Whitmore is a, is a baby boy. He's, he's I, I think uh, ESPN has him at 18.3 years old. So he's nearly two years younger than than Brandon Miller, and honestly, maybe should go. I here we're we're kind of getting a, a plateau where a lot of the prospects are are the same. Um, showed some shooting potential, but the selling point on Cam Whitmore or the selling point on Cam Whitmore is he is built like a truck. He is uh, he will bulldoze to the lane. He is he is huge, and there is a world where like he's a uh, Second best player in the draft. There is a world where he's better than Amon Thompson and Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. Um, it's going to ultimately depend on uh, the team that develops him and, and takes care of him. So we'll see if this has him projected going to number five to the Detroit Pistons. Um, we'll see how that goes. So um, I'm rooting for that kid. He's He didn't have the most consistent year in, in at Villanova, but he was also like a baby, like a year younger than most of his peers. Uh, moving on to number six, I have Asar Thompson, uh, the the second Thompson twin. I can't be super high on his twin brother Amen and, and have him like fall out of the lottery or, or something like that. Um, I I haven't watched nearly as much tape on Asar Thompson, but uh, what I've read is that he's if. Amen is going to be like a top five athlete in the NBA. Like Asar is going to be like maybe top 30. Yeah. Me sold. Uh, he, he didn't get the ball. He wasn't as much of a primary point guard for his overtime elite team. Um, he, my understanding is he is a bit more defensive oriented than uh, Amen Thompson's more of a, a creator. Um, although Asar did show what I've read is he, did show like a slightly better jump shot. So there's that. Um, I don't know if I was one of these teams, I, if I was like Orlando, I I'd try to get both of them and <laughs> just see if, if you get like a 1.5 multiplier, just having both of them on the same team, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, moving on to number seven, uh, my number seven prospect. And I went back and forth with my number eight prospect. Uh, my number seven prospect is Grady Dick out of, 
Kansas. Uh, Grady Dick is a 6'9 shooting guard. He has decent athleticism and showed a lot of playmaking verve uh, for one of the top offenses in the country, the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, Kansas had this ridiculous record against uh, ranked teams or, or top uh, tier one teams in, in the NCAA. I, I understand that he doesn't have the star upside as, as maybe some people later in the list. I totally get that. But I think every single team could use someone like Grady Dick. Grady Dick is um, he's what we, is known as a movement shooter. He's perhaps the best shooter at the in in the draft. He shot forty percent at Kansas at high volume, um, but is also just like absolutely running around and and coming off screens. And uh, the team is running plays to to get him open because the defense knows they can't leave him open. From what I've read, he wasn't a particularly bad defender, but teams like Duke attacked him a lot because uh, to try to get him off the court because he was that valuable offensively and, and perhaps because the rest of Kansas is, is really good. So, um, yeah, I, I just think why are we – we're reaching the part of the draft where you're, you're trying to get, like, high-end role players. I don't see these guys after him being superstars, so – I think every single team could benefit from Grady Dick, and I'm already preemptively mad that he's going to fall to 12th or, or something like that. Although, uh, he would be great on OKC. Number eight, I have uh, Jarris Walker. He, he's, a, I believe, like a 6'8-ish uh, forward, 6'8-ish like wing out of the University of Houston. I watched one game. Uh, with Jairus Walker, I watched their NCAA tournament loss to Miami. And I think Walker only shot 4 of 16 in the game, so he, he didn't really shoot amazing. But I was absolutely blown away by him as a prospect in that game. And the reason I was so impressed is because he might be the best uh, defender in the draft, at least stateside. Um, he's <laughs> uh, Miami has this a forward, uh, Jordan Miller, who I really respect, who is the super versatile, super hard to guard. He can drive, he can shoot. And Miami was basically like, we're going to not use Jordan Miller because Jordan Miller is being guarded by Jairus Walker, and we know we aren't going to win that matchup. So basically, Miami, one of the best isolation teams uh, one of the best teams of isolation scores was like, we aren't going to try Jairus Walker. And when they did try Jairus Walker, um, <laughs> he had a lot of these like chase down blocks and, and stuff at the rim. He is an awesome, awesome defender. Offensively, I, I don't know how he was as a shooter, but his his jumper looked good, even though he was four of sixteen. Uh, he looked like he could. He was very capable of scoring from three in the mid-range and, and driving to the basket. So I, I'm i a little bit more confident in Grady Dick, the offensive player. Going back to Grady Dick, I, I think he can potentially be like a Cam Johnson type uh, if if everything hits with him. Um, Jairus Walker, I'm a little bit I, – I think there are more question marks on him offensively, but there are not question marks on him defensively. I, I think he's going to be awesome for – 
for some team. And I think he's worth uh, a late top 10 pick for sure. And as for the top eight, I, I think I'm going to kind of to shut it down there. Those are the, the top eight prospects that I have opinions on. Um, next up, I'd probably have someone like Casey Wallace or uh, who's, who's similar to Jairus Walker, like this kind of forward type who's kind of awesome in, in transition. Uh, or I might also have Taylor Hendricks, who's kind of like he's kind of moving up in the draft based off uh, he's he's really long. I think he's 6'10", and he shoots well from three, and he's a good defender. So, like, if you have all those tools, like, you're you're bound to be a great 3 and D wing. So um, I'm not opposed to, to that, even though maybe he's um, kind of great on paper. We'll see how it translates to the league. Um, I also always have an opinion on, on the Duke guys. Uh, so only two Duke prospects uh, this year. Uh, first one is Derek Lively, and, and this is perhaps the last guy I have a, a long opinion on. Um, Derek Lively, seven-one center out of Duke. Um, going into the season, he was the he was ESPN's number one prospect in the country, and the reason he's fallen down to to this late in the draft, I, I think he's projected to go like in the around the 15 to 20 range. Um, if not, maybe even like 25. Um, the reason he's fallen this low is, is because he is super duper, duper raw offensively. Like he is super underdeveloped uh, offensively. Um, he was, again, he was a top prospect in the country, um, but it took him like almost half the season, maybe a third of the season before he was even starting for, I think half the season before he was even starting for Duke, he was getting, um, he was losing minutes to, he was losing his starting job to Ryan Young out of North, a transfer from Northwestern. And it was deserved because whenever he was on uh, the court, he was a bit of a foul machine. Um, He couldn't create off the dribble. He also just got kind of lost defensively. In short, he was a bit of an uber-athletic mess. Now, he had time, he improved, and he got way, way better um, as the year, year progressed. He got better. He stopped fouling all the time, which is uh, he learned how to use verticality, and, and he got he kind of dispelled the, the foul trouble issue that really plagued him earlier in the season. Um, he also got way, way better defensively. Um, he, he was such a good rim protector. It was like people were scared to try him. And and when they tried him, it it did not end well. Um, and he also really holds up super well on, on the perimeter. Um, like if he gets switched on the perimeter, he's able to shuffle his feet and stay in front of guys. And because of that, he's, he or Jairus Walker is the best like non Wembenyama defender in this draft, which is, is really saying something. I think Derek Lively's ultimate ceiling is potentially like a poor man's Rudy Gobert, which is actually really saying something. I, I think he could have a really outsized uh, defensive impact. If you, if you want to see his impact, I encourage you to maybe like check out his highlights of uh, his game against North Carolina, where he had like four points, 
14 rebounds and eight blocks. Uh, that was pretty awesome. But I think his most imp- impressive stretch was against uh, their first round NCAA tournament game against Oral Roberts, where Oral Roberts just didn't score the first seven minutes. And, and it was a great Duke defensive effort, but like they didn't score be- until Derek Lively went to the bench because so he went his whole entire shift and Oral Roberts couldn't score because he was that much of a presence uh, at the rim and they couldn't draw him out because he was a good defender on the perimeter as well. So I have a lot of really nice things to say about Derek Lively and and I want to give him credit for improving as, as the season went by. The reason he's not in my top 10 is because he is so far away offensively. Um, If, if it isn't an obvious dunk, uh, he's not shooting. Um, he's he has a Ben Simmons like hesitancy to the rim. Like there's this one highlight you can find on Twitter where he does a post move and he's like right under the basket. He's beaten the defender, uh, but instead of just going up and dunking it, he just like does another post move and then does another post move. Or by post moves, I mean pivots. Um, so he does like three pivots before he realizes that he has a wide open and dunk and it's kind of hilarious. And so who knows whether that was just like John Shire, the, the Duke coach saying like, Hey, um, pass it out. Don't, don't put it back up, but he's got a ways to go before he's even like a run and dunk big man, which is pretty concerning. So his offense is pretty concerning. He, he shot, I think only 40% on layups, which is kind of sad, but, um, if, if he develops, like his upside is tremendous. So I'm a fan of him. I would like to see him on, on someone like the Rockets who have enough shooters who need a little defense. I think he would pair well with Alperen Shingun. The other Duke prospect I have is Derek, Whitehead. Um, I, I just want to throw up the, the shrug emoji with Tariq Whitehead. He, he showed some really awesome flashes, uh, both offensively and defensively. He has, he had maybe the prettiest jump shot on the team. Uh, and when it was hitting, it was like, Oh man, here comes Tariq Whitehead. But, um, he was a bit inconsistent. He came off, he had to come off the bench. Uh, and he didn't really show like the primary scoring burst that maybe he was billed out as, as a top prospect coming out of high school. Um, he also was dealing with a foot injury. He was also dealing with a foot injury all year, and he had surgery before the season. I think he had surgery after the season. Um, so I, I think it's really going to depend on the medical. And if someone likes the medical, they're they're going to pick him higher than you think he'll go. Um, I think he's worth a, a roll of the dice in the twenties, um, but we'll we'll see what what happens. I I think. I don't think he's fallen out of the first round just because of his pedigree. Um, so I like him. Um, another good pedigree guy is Gigi Jackson uh, out of South Carolina. You have to think of Gigi Jackson as <laughs> he is a hell of a, a good stats, bad team guy. And maybe that's not even putting it right. He <laughs> That boy likes to shoot. I, I think that's, that's mainly it. He was not a good passer, did not care to defend, was a total disaster at South Carolina. Uh, he was the number one prospect at of his respective class, um, but decided to go to college a year early. Um, 
part of the reason maybe he, he struggled a little bit. The only reason I, I have him in my honorable mentions is he does have a high pedigree. Um, one guy I follow and respect, Raphael Barlow, um, is incredibly high on him. I think he has him like in the lottery or, or something crazy like that. And Gigi Jackson is probably going to go late first, if if not like mid, mid-second. Um, there are a lot of red flags, but he's also the youngest player in the draft. And if you watch his highlights, he does – he can do a lot scoring the ball. Um, maybe he's just Cam Thomas 2.0 in the pros. Maybe he doesn't stick. Maybe he, he never figures it out, um, but might be worth a, a late round flyer. And the last guy I will, I want to point out and, and the last guy I, I think is worth is going to be a steal in the second round, potentially uh, Turquavion Smith, six, four point guard, a sophomore out of, North Carolina State, NC State. Why do I like Turquavion Smith? Um, so first off, he is a bit skinny. He's only 165 pounds. I think that really hurt his draft stock. But he was a primary scorer for NC State in a team that I think overachieved a little bit. That probably, uh, one of the, I think his first year at NC State, they went 11 and 21. His second year, they flipped that, going 21-11. and 11. And they were a really frisky team. In, in fact, if, if you watch their NCAA tournament game against uh, Creighton, Creighton wins a, a bit of a nail-biter, but it is quite a bit of a back-and-forth because Terquavion Smith is absolutely going off, driving to the basket, hitting big shots, scoring 30 points, and keeping NC State in it. I just don't get why we're we're so high on someone like maybe me this this is gonna sound blasphemous but like i don't don't know why i i don't know if the gap between turquavion smith and like scoot henderson is 40 picks i i guess that's my point like he's taller than scoot he's also very explosive he has a better jumper now scoot henderson is built like a tank he's also played against better competition and is more explosive like i'll admit um but i think turquavion is is gonna be a good guard on on someone's bench and gonna be like one of the the steals of the draft so um i'm a big fan of of that guy was irrationally exuberant on on the nc state guys but yeah that's it (laughs) i want to thank you for listening i'm i'm shocked uh we we didn't miss we missed the hour mark but uh, only about an hour on the podcast. Uh, I want to thank everyone for, for taking the time to listen and let me basically empty the clip of my NBA drafts thoughts uh, a month before the draft. But I'm super excited. Maybe we'll do another pod once the playoffs end or, or when uh, as more information leaks out or as I develop new opinions. But uh, thanks for listening and, and hope you have a great week.